The scripture reading today is from Genesis 25, verses 1 through 11. Genesis 25, verses 1 through 11. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, and Midian, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. And Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Asurium, Lethrium, and Lumium. The sons of Midian were Ephath, Ephrath, Hanak, Abida, and Eldad. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac, eastward to the east country. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zoar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife, after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Lathroi. God's word. Let's pray and ask God to bless this time. Father God, we look to you recognizing that at some point our, our lives will come to an end. And God, we recognize that our lives will have been spent one way or another. And so God, as we study the, the life of Abraham and just your, your work and your, your grace toward him, God, give us the strength, give us the the power and the wisdom to live lives that are pleasing to you, that bring you glory, and that are truly satisfying. Lord, I pray all this in your Son's name. Amen. Well, if you haven't already, um, you can turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 25. We are I don't know if you realize how big of a deal this is, you know, uh, that, that Abraham dies. This is, this is coming to the end of, uh, in our study um, of the life of, of a great man who makes arguably, uh, you know, through his life, one of the, the greatest differences in the rest of biblical and world history. I mean, through Abraham, uh, really, the, the rest of the Bible uh, sort of follows his line, follows his descendants um, on down to even Jesus. And so as we think about this, I want to take a moment uh, to remind us really where we've come a little bit in Genesis. As we, we come to this humongous, uh, almost end of a chapter uh, of, of redemption history, I want to I remind us where we've come from, because it can be so easy uh, to miss the forest for the trees. You know, we zoom in each week and study something, but I want to uh, zoom out for just a moment and remind us where we come from and where this man, Abraham, fits in in God's plan. Well, the, the first kind of section of Genesis would be uh, generally understood as being chapters 1 through 11. You could break it up smaller if you'd like to, but generally chapters uh, 1 through 11 uh, is where we see just a bunch of big things happen. Uh, the first thing we happen is in the beginning God created, right? God created everything. God created everything good. It was perfect and good. And God created mankind perfect and good, sinless. And they were living in sort of a, a paradise, a, 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 a utopia, able to commune and fellowship with God. And they were given one rule, weren't they? <laughs> one rule. Do not eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And for a while, they, uh, they lived faithfully. They trusted God. We don't need that. You'll provide for us. You are good. We don't, we don't need to, to have uh, that, that knowledge of, of, uh, of good and evil. But then, of course, they were tempted. 
and they rebelled against God. They, they more or less said, you have told us to live this way, but we are going to live this way. We are going to make our own rules. We are going to have our own knowledge, not just what is derived from you. And so we know they fell. They, they ate the, the, the fruit of that tree they were told not to, and so that is known as the fall. They fell into sin. Uh, they, they chose to fall into sin. And so there's this rebellion And because of this rebellion, there is now the curse. God says, because you have done this, and then there's just this list of of curses of, hey, you guys were were created good, you were to live in paradise, perfectly communing, Um, you you would do work, you would live life, but it would be a joyous, uh, full life, but no longer will that be the case. It, It would not only be uh, ease and, and communion with God. There would now be this, this curse. They were no longer living in paradise. In fact, they were pushed out of the garden and um, an angel guarding that, that entryway. But we see that curse. We also see the plan of redemption initiated right at that same time. Uh, on, on the heels of sin, on the heels of the fall and this condemnation, God gives a promise of redemption. That's Genesis 3.15. Uh, we won't look at that right now, but God s- basically says he's going to send a savior, a victor through the woman, a human uh, savior here, through the woman that will uh, more or less crush Satan, the tempter, and all that he stands for, sin, death, separation from God. So there's that promise, but uh, the world continues, and it's under this curse, and the world only grows worse and worse and worse, doesn't it? Cain kills Abel. That's the second generation. (laughs) These brothers, one brother kills the other. And as we follow along, we see more murder, see more sin. Uh, You can think about how it just keeps ramping up until you finally have the world is so wicked in God's eyes that he says, I'm going to destroy it with a flood, a worldwide flood, right? But we see redemption peek its head again uh, by God's grace. He has Noah build an ark to take his family on it to repopulate the humans and to take the animals on it to repopulate the animals. And there's kind of this new start. But we know that after the flood, after uh, this cleansing, sin was not gone because people still existed. And so the world grows wicked once again. And kind of the next place we see things happening is the, the Tower of Babel. You have this city, this people who are are basically uh, unifying in rebellion against God, unifying to worship uh, other man-made gods. And so we know God steps in once again, just as he did with the flood. He steps in this time by confusing their their language and dispersing them all over the world. But there is still this wickedness in the world. And then, as we come, that's, that's that first uh, epoch or era of the Bible, but then we come to Genesis chapter 12 through 25. It shifts gears a little bit, and that's where Abraham comes in. Chapter 11 ends with a genealogy going from Shem to Abraham, and then chapter 12 tells us who this man Abraham is and why he's so important. And basically what you could say about Abraham is this is God narrowing his plan down to one man through whom a a particular great nation would come through, through whom the Savior, this offspring of the woman, right, that would crush the serpent's head, that would bring salvation, would come through this man, Abraham. So so Abraham is incredibly important. He is uh, this... Um, key in God's plan of redemption. So kind of again, as we pick up in that era of of biblical history, we have God speak to Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, that was his name at at that point, Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So he's told to leave his country, his kindred, in uh, his uh, father's house. He's, he needs to leave. God gives him a command, but God also gives him very great promises. Picking up in verse 2 of chapter 12. And I will make of you a great nation, 
and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, that, that last uh, promise there, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed, that's really the, the crux, that's the climax of God's promise, uh, promises to Abraham. Because what that was pointing to and what Abraham finally later learned and understood here was, now the way that all the families of the earth will be blessed is that the Savior will come through my line. This is pointing to no one less than Jesus Christ, our Savior, fully God, fully man. They weren't aware of those things, you know, at the time, uh, how that would go about. But this was the main promise. There would be a Savior. There would be this redemption. And that was the, the climax of these promises. But there were these other promises that were given, right? I will bless you. I'll make your name great. I will make a great nation through you. I'll protect and provide for you, blessing those who bless you, cursing those who dishonor you. And it's not in this initial promise, but God also promised to give Abram's uh, descendants a land as an everlasting possession, this land of, of Canaan in which he was dwelling. God led him out of Ur of the Chaldees and, then, and into Canaan, and that, God said, this will be your offspring's everlasting possession. But we need to understand that all those other promises are, are really just a means to this greater promise of all the families of the earth being blessed, because there would be a way of salvation for all the families of the earth through Jesus Christ. But you know, I, I think about these promises, I think about uh, Abraham's life and, and the way that he lived it as we sort of come to his obituary. You know, uh, we're kind of looking at the, the wake of, of Abraham here. And I've come to this conclusion about most Christians, even myself, okay? This is important. I, I think that many people, many Christians, when they, when they ponder the promises of God, when they think about the promises of God and how they will impact them, we are generally thinking with an eternal view, lots of times. And uh, just hang with me, and I think you'll see what I'm, I'm saying. We're generally looking for God to fulfill eternal promises in our lives. So, you know, maybe, maybe we're in a situation and we're struggling, so we remember the promise that God will one day wipe away every tear from our eyes, right? We remember that we will one day spend uh, eternity in a place where there is no sin, no sorrow, no pain or suffering anymore. And we, we should get great hope from that to help us forward. We might even think about uh, the, the way that we get to enjoy God for eternity. We think, okay, there will come a day that I won't have this sin in between me and God, I won't have this flesh in between me and God, and I will get to enjoy God fully forever. We might even think about the permanence of paradise. You know, uh, Adam and Eve, they were in paradise, right? That's the, the Garden of Eden, and it was ripped away from them. They were cast out. They were guarded from it by the angel with the flaming sword. But we know from God's word that that will never happen to us. We will be in paradise Paradise will never change for the worst. We will never be cast out of paradise. We will never be shut out. And th there's these great promises, and th these really are wonderful. I, I am not uh, trying to knock these, these promises at all. They are incredibly important that we think about, meditate on these eternal promises. They should instill in us a, a hope and a confidence for the future after this life. But the problem that I see in my own life again, uh, but, but in the life of many Christians, is that we forget that God has not only given us promises with an eternal dimension, He has given us promises for right here, right now, today. And in Abraham's life, we see that he had promises, yes, with an eternal dimension. They will have, all these families of the earth will be e eternally blessed through your offspring, but he also had 
these promises for today. If you're following along in your notes, this is going to be uh, number one there. Abraham witnessed God fulfilling promises. Abraham witnessed God fulfilling promises. See, Abraham believed, or he at least learned, that, that if you're living by faith, if you're following God, then you should and you will actually see God fulfilling his promises right before your very eyes in this life. So Abraham had promises with eternal ramifications, but there were others. Let's think about some of the, the promises that Abraham uh, got to see God fulfill. God said, he's, I, I will bless you, right? I, I will bless you. Um, did, did God bless Abraham in his earthly life? God, God absolutely blessed Abraham in his earthly life. I can think about uh, one time Lot gets taken captive by a band of kings. Abraham goes out with just his people and, and takes over the, the, this band of kings and, and takes back Lot along with all the other plunder and people that had been captured. And this is what Melchizedek says. Again, you'd have to look back a little bit. This is what Mel Melchizedek says. Blessed be Abram by God most high. Blessed be, right? I'll bless you. Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Melchizedek understood that Abraham was being blessed by God there. Uh, can think of other times even, and this is, this is kind of important stuff, that God blessed Abraham, Abram at that time, by, by, by rescuing him and even uh, increasing him in ways, even after his own foolishness and sin. So what we need to see here is Abraham should have been trusting in that God would always bless him. God would always take care of him. But there were times that he erred from that, right? We remember uh, he goes down into Egypt when a famine comes upon the land. And when he gets there, he lies about Sarah being his wife. And the Pharaoh takes her. But God sends plagues on the household of Pharaoh. Uh, Pharaoh sends them back out, back into the promised land, and he sends them out with all sorts of riches, camels and herds and flocks and servants. I think what's going on here is that, that God in these times, because that actually happens more than once, uh, in these times God is uh, convicting Abraham of his lack of faith. Hey, I said I was going to bless you. I said that I was going, going to protect you and provide for you. And so I think he was convicting him and going to and, and trying to rather build his faith. God was building Abraham's faith that God would fulfill those earthly promises. Now there are more examples here uh, of how God did this uh, with just the blessing part, but let's move on to the fact that God said He's going to make a great nation through him. Right? This is very important. I'm, I'll make you a great nation. We know that to, to later be the nation of Israel, who, again, the uh, Savior comes through, Jesus comes through. But when God says he's going to make a great nation through Abraham, the problem with that, of course, was Abraham did not have any children. I, I know that we've, we've looked at this many times, but we need to see this in this context of, of him getting to see these uh, promises fulfilled and God building his faith because Abraham understood at some point, I, I think my wife is barren, and we know from, from the Bible that she was, in fact, barren. And we know that at some point, they, again, kind of took things into their own hands. Rather than just trusting for God to fulfill his promise to make a great nation, what did they do? They said, well, you can't have a child through me, Abraham, Sarah says. Why don't you lay with my servant, Hagar? And so he does, and that's how Ishmael came onto the scene. But then God steps in again and says, No, you will have a child through your wife Sarah, right? And th this seemed crazy, and even at this time, Abraham uh, is around 100 years old, uh, and Sarah's 90 years old. This is past the age when people are supposed to be able to have children, but God miraculously gave them that son of promise. He said, I promised it to you, 
right? I'll make a great nation of you. I don't need you to take it into your own hands any more than I needed you to go down into Egypt when there was a famine on the land. I was going to fulfill this, and God shows his faithfulness. We learn, we see later uh, in, in Genesis that Abraham is, is finally learning this, okay? Remember when Abraham is tested, his faith is tested? God says, hey, I've now miraculously given you this son of promise, this one through whom the, the, uh, there will be a great nation, this one through whom all the nations or all the families of the earth will be blessed. You know what I want you to do with him? I want you to take him up on this mountain and I want you to sacrifice him to me. I want you to put him to death and burn him on this altar. And at this point, Abraham had to be confused, right? How, how, how God, don't you know that he, he's the son of promise? Uh, it took me so long to get this child. I didn't know how you were going to fulfill it before, but then you finally gave me this child, and now you want me to cast him away? You want me to, to put him to death? But we see at this point, Abraham had learned God makes promises, and God fulfills promises, right? And so what does Abraham do? He travels with Isaac to, to that mountain. He puts him, ties him up, puts him on the altar in the wood that was there, and he raises the knife. God, I don't know how you're going to do this, but I'll obey you and trust you because you are faithful. And we know that at the last moment, the angel of the Lord steps in, right? Stop, Abraham. Do not touch the boy. Do not harm him. And then God provided a substitute. His son of promise, this, this uh, promise was given back to him, you could say. Abraham had learned to see that God was faithful to fulfill his promises. Even the ones that happen right here, right now. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm a, as guilty as anyone, but, you know, I'll say God blesses obedience. And he does. He doesn't have to, but he does. He, he tells us that in his word. But we often think, you know, God blesses us, but it, it may just be eternal. And that's true. It's a, a helpful uh, reminder that, you know, we may not get this immediate blessing. And when I say blessing, please understand I'm not saying that you'll get a check in the mail. Uh, but we need to understand God can bless you tomorrow. There's no reason to think that God can't bless us in this life. There's no reason to think that any other of God's promises he can't do in this life. And I, I bring all that up because here in chapter 25, we actually see one more kind of uh, obscure promise from God uh, fulfilled. Uh, we, we see there in uh, Genesis 25, uh, starting in verse 1, it says, Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. So Sarah's gone, she's dead, so he takes a, a, another wife. It says, verse 2, she bore him, and then it lists six names of six sons there. And those sons have other children, okay? So you say, well, that's kind of random that it tells us that. I guess it's, it's neat. Um, but what's, what's the point there? Well, what you need to know is turn back to chapter 17, starting in verse 4. 17, starting in verse 4. God says this to Abraham. Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. You remember back in chapter 12, God said, I will make of you a great nation, a great nation, singular. Here, verse 4, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. It goes on, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. That's what Abraham means, the father of a multitude. Um, he says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. Now, this promise of, of, of a great nation is, is exploded. There are more nations now, a multitude of nations. Now, don't get me wrong, that, that one nation, the great nation, is the great nation. I Israel is the one through whom the promises uh, would be fulfilled, but God's putting icing on the cake, right? God's just continually blessing him. This is another form of that blessing. And so we see here, right, in chapter 25, this random piece of information. And, and Abraham took, for him, took another wife whose name was Keturah, and she bore him these six sons. 
Now, if you then look later in the Bible, you'll see these names come up again. You see the Midianites later. You see these, uh, fa- these uh, nations that come from uh, Dedan, and uh, uh, Jokshan has, has at least two nations that we see uh, later in the Bible. This random little tidbit of information. Abraham, by the way, who was uh, over 137 years old at this point, that tells you something. When God uh, works a miracle in a man, he really works that miracle because he's still having six more kids uh, even after he— remember, uh, I think it's Galatians, maybe Romans, says he was as good as dead. Reproductively, he was as good as dead even before Isaac was born at 100. And here he is, past 137 years old, six more children But what was God doing? Fulfilling the promises that he had given him. (laughs) Abraham didn't ask for it. Hey, God, you know, I really want to be the father of a multitude of nations. God said, no, here's what I'm going to do. Just believe me, follow me. I will make of you uh, the father of a multitude of nations. Now, this is all so important because I just wonder, well, you know, what was God doing? Why was God uh, letting all these things happen to Abraham that we've just looked at? Well, as I've been kind of saying, God was teaching Abraham to trust his promises. Abraham, you should expect that my promises will be fulfilled in your life. Abraham, you should live like my promises will be fulfilled in your life. You don't need to go down into Egypt when a famine comes. You don't need to have a kid with another woman when I tell you I'll make a great nation of you. In fact, you can even sacrifice that son of the nation when I tell you to. God was teaching him faith for his every day, right here, right now, life. And so I ask you, Christian brother, Christian sister, do you trust the promises of God for your everyday life, or are you just waiting on those eternal ones. One day I'll see God fulfill his promises. No, 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 no. You can expect God to fulfill the promises he has given us in his word. They're in there, and we'll, I'll give you a couple of those in a second. You can expect it, and because you can expect it, you can live like those promises will be fulfilled in your life. Isn't that good news? <laughs> that is good news. So let's think about it. I mean, so many promises. Uh, you know, it's easier to look at the New Testament because you know those promises are for us. But there are, even in the Old Testament, so many precious promises. Well, let's just think of some of those. Romans 6 says that you are no longer a slave to sin, Christian. That, that besetting sin that you say, uh, I'll never be able to knock it, so I'm not even going to worry about it. No. The Bible says that you are no longer enslaved to sin. In fact, it says you're now a slave to righteousness. What does that mean? It means that by God's grace, as you expect him and live like he's going to really kill the sin in your life, really make you free from sin, from these sins in your life, that he will actually do it. That attitude that you struggle with, he can kick it to the curb. That that, uh, continual action that you uh, are, are ashamed of, he can kill that thing. You've got to expect it, and you've got to live like it. Other uh, things that we see in God's Word, promises, I'm just giving you some that came to my mind. Matthew 28, Acts 1, 2 Corinthians 5, all of those tell us that we, when we become a new creation in Christ Jesus, we then become ambassadors for God. We have the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling in us, and he is making us witnesses. And because he is making us witnesses, we will make disciples of all the nations of the earth. Do you believe that for your life? Do you believe that if you open your mouth with the gospel that the Holy Spirit is actually empowering it? Oh, I can't share my faith. I'm I'm just not very good at it. I don't care. The Holy Spirit is very good at it. He brings the gospel not just in words, but in power and with conviction. Do you believe that? Well, if you believe it, then live like it. Eternal souls, destinations can be changed because you believe the promise of God that he will use you to make disciples, to to, to bring people to be reconciled to himself. There are so many promises I can think of. God, it will never leave us or forsake us. 
He, he will uh, always be there. He will, he will always give us everything we need. We, we don't have to live in anxiety. Christian, are you living in anxiety? Are you living in this, this constant fretfulness about the future? I can promise you it's not helping things. <laughs> it's not. But if believe he's with you. Believe he's guiding you. Believe he's protecting, providing for you. And live like it. I, I, I do wonder for my own life and for all of our lives, Christians' lives, if maybe the reason we don't think about it this way is because we're not trusting in the promises of God, so we never see them fulfilled. You know, God, God says he'll provide for us. God, God maybe tells us to, to do something that sounds a little scary, but like Abraham, we go down into Egypt every time the famine comes. Like Abraham, we make our own way to have offspring rather than wait for God. And we don't even get to see God fulfill his promises in our lives. Do we ever risk anything <laughs> when God tells us to, only to see God come through? Maybe the reason we don't see God's promises fulfilled before our very eyes is because we're, we're, not, we're not doing anything about it. We're, we're anxious, but we're not coming to him in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. You know, all these different things. Maybe that's the reason we're not seeing as many amazing things happen as we could or should be seeing in our Christian lives. God taught Abraham, right? Abraham had his mistakes, but uh, God, God taught him and he learned to live by faith. And these promises being fulfilled were not only for Abraham— they're for us. We're to see that we can live by faith, knowing that God will fulfill his promises, even the ones for today. Hey, I'm not telling you not to look forward to those eternal promises. I look forward to a day I don't wake up with aches and pains. I look forward to not stubbing my toe. I look forward to relationships never being broken. I get that. I'm excited. But we're not there yet. <laughs> Let's go ahead and trust the promises that are for today as well. Now, when you think about life, when you think about uh, the Christian life, it's not made up of just miracles, okay? I say we want to see incredible things happen, and I do, and I expect it to happen in this church and in many churches uh, around the world. I expect to see, to see amazing things happen, miraculous, supernatural things happen, but that's not the general uh, everyday part of the Christian life, right? There are going to be mundane times. You think about Abraham, I mean, there will be lots of years, uh, usually between chapters of the Bible. We see God appear to him and something amazing happen, and then maybe, you know, 13 years go by, maybe 10 years go by before we see anything overly eventful happen again. But what we need to realize, uh, along with Abraham here, is that even though our days may not be filled with miracles and the supernatural all the time, that does not mean that we shouldn't live our days faithfully all the time, each and every single one of them. Because at the end of our life, that's the way we'll have wanted it to be. If you're following along in, uh, in your notes, uh, number two is Abraham lived a life made up of days. Abraham lived a life made up of days. So we're going to dig in here for a moment. I, I love this reminder. I mean, for my own soul, I love the reminder that we're going to see here in this text. So 20, chapter 25, verses 7 through 8, says this. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. So the way I want to do this is let's first look at verse 8 there. It says, Abraham breathed his last, died in a good old age, an old man and full of years. He was gathered to his people. Let me tell you something. This is the life that we all want to live. Because you, you may not see it just with a, a quick reading there, but that, the, the, the uh, adverbs or whatever adjectives that are used here are, are just interesting. It says there, he, he died at a good old age and full of years. When, when it says those things, it's not just saying that he lived to be really old. 
That, that's, that's not the point here. These are euphemisms. Do you understand that? These are, these are sayings, and what they mean is, yes, he lived to an old age, uh, lived many years, but they were good years. Yes, he, he, he lived this life, 175 years, and they were full years. Do you see that? He died in a good old age, an old man, and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. I mean, hopefully even when I read it to you now, it sounds different. You start to see this euphemism. This man lived a full, a good life. It says that Abraham breathed his last, died in a good old age, an old man, and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. Do you hear it now? <laughs> Do you hear that this is, this is that full, good life that we all want to live Abraham did not live an easy life. Please do not misunderstand me here. That is not the, the life of a believer necessarily easy, but the life of the believer is, is deeply good. It is deeply full, deeply satisfying when we live our life as though it is made up of days. So we live this deep life, and I'll say to you, everyone wants that. Everyone wants that good life, but they're just hoping that it happens. They, they just hope to look back and say, I lived a good life. It was full, and it was uh, just, just everything I could have asked for this side of heaven. People hope that, but the, the question is, how, how could this happen? How could this happen? What's the key? All right, so now we look up at verse 7. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life. 175 years. Do you, do you notice the wording there? The days of the years of Abraham's life? Isn't that a strange way to say it? <laughs> Why not just say these are the years of Abraham's life? 175 years. You know, what, what is the point here? Well, I think what's going on here is God uh, wants to impress something upon us. I think that God wants to impress upon us the fact that the sum total of our lives, right, this 175 years in Abraham's case, the sum total of our lives will be made up of individual days. And we should strive to live those days uh, faithfully and fruitfully, faithfully and, and productively. I mean, you think about it, okay? We've got to put this in perspective. We, we don't like to think about death, so I need to help us here, I think. Um, whether you live to be 40 years old, 80 years old, 100 years old, it doesn't matter, but each and every one of us will, no matter how many years we live, live lives that are made up of individual days, individual choices, individual decisions, individual actions that we make. And that you take all those days, you take all those decisions, you take all those actions, and you put them together, and that equals your years, right? We need to understand as well that, that we have these, these limited number of days, and they will be invested in one way or another. We, we don't do anything neutral in the accumulation of those days. The culmination of those days will have a certain outcome. It, it, it will uh, direct the way that our lives will be. Again, we just want to live the good life. We want to live the full life, but we just hope it'll happen one day. Maybe when I get older. I mean, I, I remember thinking those things when I was a kid. When I get older, that's, that's, that's when uh, things will change. Like, uh, I'll start acting wise and not making all these stupid decisions. And when I get older, I'll do that. I'll be a more godly man when I get older. But then the older I got, the more I realized that stuff doesn't just happen. You don't just flip a switch and become wise. You don't just flip a switch and become godly. I don't know a single person who has had that happen in their life. Just boom, one day they're wise. One day they're godly. It does not happen. But the way that it happens is over the days of the years of their lives. Abraham, again, he saw miraculous things happen, but he also had a lot of mundane things happen. He had to live the day in, day out, just like you and I. But we see, looking at his life, that he lived faithfully even in those days. We saw it over and over again in Genesis. Everywhere he would go, he would build a 
altar. He would build an altar. What do you do with an altar? Well, you make sacrifices to God and you worship God. This is just what he did. This was part of his normal practice. He did not want to be in a place that there wasn't an altar to worship and and, and sacrifice to God. He didn't want that. That was just his day-to-day life. We think about um, another, uh, again, kind of strange, a simple yet difficult command God gave Abraham as he says, circumcise all the males in your household, right? And so God initially gives this uh, uh, command along with uh, his promise of, I'm giving you this son and all these things, that this nation, I'll bless you, and it'll come through Sarah. And, you know, and we see that initially he just immediately goes and circumcises all the males of his household, even the, the servants, uh, all these things. And so you say, okay, well, that was on his spiritual high. What does he do later, you know? Well, we see in Genesis 21, verse 4, And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. So you have all this time pass by, years and years and years pass by, but when Isaac is born, we see that he is still circumcising. This, this uh, again, probably difficult command to keep, uh, I would say, we, we know if he's doing it with Isaac, he's doing it with all the males that are being born uh, into the household. This was his son, but you know, even the ones that were born to his servants and things like that, Abraham was faithfully following God, even in these mundane and sometimes difficult tasks. God sent Abraham there to the promised land to be a sojourner. He, he was to be a sojourner. He would one day possess the land, but what do we see Abraham doing faithfully every day? As we have looked through all these chapters, he never built a big mansion. He was a rich guy. He lived in a tent everywhere he went. He remained as a sojourner in this land all the days of his life. I've already talked about uh, Egypt, right? God, God wanted him to, to stay in this land this land of Canaan, the, the, the promised land, but then a famine comes in, and so he goes down into Egypt. And what I want to point out to you here is we could say that Abraham was distracted by the cares of this world, by the distractions, I guess, of this world, right? He's faithfully kind of followed God to this promised land. He's going around, but then this famine comes up. He sees Egypt, and he, he goes. There's this distraction from the daily faithfulness to God. Now, God did bail him out of that terrible situation he got in, but it was uh, no doubt an embarrassing situation and a tough situation. But the reason I bring that one up, that event up, is God, God redeemed it, but there was this, this season of distraction. How many of us live our Christian lives, our day-to-day lives, these, you remember, days are the things that make up your years, and your years are the thing that make up your entire life. How many of us spend our lives in a season of distraction? There are so many things that we, uh, humans, but Christians, can be distracted by that keep us from this daily faithfulness to God. Some of us feel like our work is the most important thing. I need to make a lot of money. I need to uh, always be the one who's getting promoted. I need to do all these things. Are you distracted by work, by success? Let me tell you something. God, when you stand before him one day, is not going to say, so high up, how high up in the chain did you make it? What, what size bank account did you leave behind, by the way? He doesn't care about that stuff. That's not what God asks us to do in the way that we live our days. Another distraction, maybe it's obvious, is the entertainment industry is one of the biggest industries, period. The the amount of money that are brought in uh, by by TV shows, by movies, by sports, you know, sporting events that are are put on TV, uh, by by games, uh, you know, uh, computer games, phone games, all these things. And to make it worse, we have all of these entertainments available at our fingertips 24-7. If, if, it's not, um, if we're not sitting in front of our smart TV, we're sitting in front of our laptop or our desktop, 
if we don't have those around us, we have this supercomputer, what would have been a supercomputer probably 30 years ago, in our pockets by which we can have a constant distraction from living a faithful life for God. I know I'm, I'm a victim, <laughs> not victim, rather, I'm a, uh, anyways, I do the same thing. I can't think of the word right now, but we need to understand People, that our lives will be made up of these individual days that we will have spent one way or another, either for frivolous nothingness in the scheme of eternity or for God's glory and eternal uh, weighty things. Listen to this. Paul says this in Ephesians 4, 14 through 17, or 15 through 17. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You see, see that? Paul's like, look, if you're not making the best use of your time, you're an unwise fool. You're an unwise fool if you're not making the best use of the time. I'm going to read that again. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It goes on to say that the will of the Lord is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and as you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you go on and interact with the people around you in these different ways, your, your wife, your husband, your children, your employer, just all these different categories Make the best use of the time. James reminds us in James 4.14 how short our life is. He says, what is your life? And this is all over the Bible. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Friend, your life is a mist. I don't care how much time you think you have or how long some days feel. In the scheme of things, your life is a mist that will vanish when the sun comes out. Gone in a moment. You can think of uh, uh, just, you know, you go out in the cold and you, you breathe out. You have that, that big cloud of vapor, that cloud of mist, but it's only there for a few seconds. That is your entire life. How are you going to spend it? How are you going to spend that one mist of a life that you've been given. It's a great gift. Don't hear me wrong. It's a great gift, but that gift is meant to be used to make the best use of that time. This is what uh, Moses taught, actually, in one of the few psalms that he wrote. Uh, Moses wrote Psalm uh, 90. He says this to God, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. God Always remind us that our life is a mist, is a vapor. God, always remind us that each day is a gift from you. And teach us to live with wisdom. Give us a heart of wisdom so that we actually use those days. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Christian, expect amazing things in your life. But understand that most days will be mundane. They will be just like the day before it. But you must leverage each day. You must maximize each day. So you think about it. What are you doing by God's grace to make each day, each day, a day that you are growing in godliness? Because that switch is never going to flip. I can tell you that. It will be a slow pattern of daily growth in God as you study His Word, as you come to Him in prayer and fasting and in communion with the saints. And God will grow you in godliness, but what are you doing each day to make that happen? What are you doing uh, by God's grace to make each day a day that you're walking in obedience to God? God, what do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do today? What would, what would be service to you? Again, this might go back to our miracle talk or, you know, seeing God's promises fulfilled. What do you want me to do today to see your promises fulfilled in my life? What, what, what should I expect to see today and live as though you're going to do, God? And what are you doing by God's grace to make each day a day that you are uh, making an impact in this world for God's glory, for the kingdom of God, 
What are you doing? Again, this, is, this isn't meant to be condemnation. This isn't meant to be anything. It's teach us to number our days, you know? These were the days of the years of Abraham's life. What are you doing with the days of the years of your life? It's a gift from God. All right. We've seen some awesome things. I kind of want to tie this up here. Um, I'm going to skip number three. You can mark it out. I just don't have enough time for it. Um, it's good stuff, but uh, just not for today. So if we are to maximize our lives, the days of the years of our lives, I think we can see here from Abraham uh, one of the best ways to use our days, okay? Number four, Abraham left a legacy. Abraham left a legacy. I mean, it may be easy for some of you to spend time with God in the morning. Maybe, maybe it's easy for you to attend church. Maybe it's easy for you to even serve God in all these different ways. But the question is, are you passing that on to other people? Are you passing that on to other people? I can't help but say it right now. I'm sitting here looking at Jerry. Man, you, you got uh, Jerry Eccles. You got a family that's following the Lord. You, you, you've already left a legacy, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we praise God for that. That's, that's a life well spent. That's a, a good use of our days. There will come a day that Jerry won't be sitting there smiling at me while I preach. But there will not come a day that his legacy, the imprint by God's grace that has been left, will remain in the people that he left that legacy with. And we see that with Abraham here as well. Look at verses 9 through 11, just quickly. Isaac and Ishmael, his, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. Then Abraham was buried with, his wife, with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled in Beer Laharoi. So there's a couple things I want to point out here, okay? This legacy that we see. First, the, the, uh, the two names at the beginning of that verse, Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah. That, that should have some significance to you. These two guys were more or less enemies. That, that becomes very, very true in the future of Genesis, that they become just settled enemies uh, against one another. But you think about their upbringing. Uh, Ishmael was always mocking Isaac he, until he and his mom, Ishmael and his mom, were, were sent away because of the way that Ishmael was treating Isaac. These guys were not friends, yet they came together for this burial. And I think, as I, as I look at God's word, that they did that because Abraham had modeled it for them. Sons, we need to get along with people that we don't get along with. <laughs> you know, I don't know if that's a good saying or not. Sons, we need to play nice even if they aren't nice. You know, th this is what we see here. I I'm not going to list for you all of these uh, ways that Abraham had modeled this. You think about uh, the way he let Lot choose when their, when their herdsmen were fighting. You remember that? Lot's, uh, his nephew, the herdman, herdsmen are fighting, and he says, you know what, look, at, look around the land and take whatever you want. I'll go the other way. That's playing nice with someone who's uh, not really being nice. You're letting the herdsmen fight. He rescues Lot even after that happens, so he modeled it that way. After he takes over those uh, wicked kings, he goes ahead and gives back um, all the, the plunder to the, the kings that had been taken over, even though they were wicked kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and these other places. He interceded for Sodom, right? When, when God said, I'm going to destroy these places. He dealt generously. This is the most recent one we've seen. He dealt generously uh, with, with the, the Hittite people when he needed to bury Sarah, his wife. You remember that? He speaks respectfully. I, I am just a sojourner among you. Please hear me uh, that I may purchase a, a place to bury my wife. You know, he's saying all that. And then he's given this exorbitant price for this uh, burial plot, you could say, this field with a cave in it, exor exorbitant price. And he, all he does is count out the money and hands it to him. He had shown by example 
how to play nice with people who aren't nice, how to, how to just get along with other people, even if you don't see eye to eye. Let me tell you, parents, and tell me, I need to put a mirror here. Your kids are watching you. If you cannot play nice with people that aren't nice, they will not either. They're learning from you how to interact with other people. And we see here that uh, Isaac and even Ishmael at some level had learned from Abraham's example. But secondly, we see Isaac continued in the faith. At verse 11, after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son. This is kind of the idea of this blessing that had been on Abraham all these 75 or so, no, it would be more than that, it would be a, a hundred years. For about a hundred years, this blessing that had been on uh, Abraham is now passed on to Isaac. And then it says that he settled at Bir Laharoi. This is in the promised land. This isn't back at the home country. Isaac, now that his father is gone, the reason that they're there, now that his father is gone, he still stays in the land. He still continues to live in a tent. And, and no doubt he still continued to build altars and make sacrifices and worship God just as his father had taught him to do. Abraham had made the best use of his days by, by training up his sons, uh, showing them his faith, teaching them all that God had done for him. And we see that that is, is rubbed off on Isaac here. It's, it's, it's a legacy, an imprint left on this world. Again, friends, you will not always be here. I won't be here forever. You, know, you will not always be here. But you can leave by God's grace. I'm not trying to pump up our abilities, but by God's grace, you can leave an imprint on this world. This doesn't have to be your children, by the way. This can be, uh, you know, the, the kids back in Sunday school. This can be uh, the, the teenager that sits in, in the pews. You can say, you know what, I, I, I want to start uh, pouring into him or pouring into her, you know. But I would definitely say, parents, that our, our highest uh, priority of, of passing on this imprint of godliness, of faithfulness, must be our own children. We want to live a legacy. So that is the obituary of Abraham, this end of a great uh, era in the Bible. This man through whom the rest of biblical history follows to the culmination in Christ and all of his work. And we do need to remember that, that the, the point of Abraham is not the greatness of this man, but the greatness of God's plan that would be fulfilled through him. But we saw that Abraham got to see these promises of God fulfilled in his life. And I'll remind you, as we come to this prayer time here in just a moment, we can talk to God, saying, God, you know what? I, I haven't been finding your promises in your word, memorizing those promises, you know, hiding them in my heart. I haven't been doing that. I haven't been expecting those promises to actually be fulfilled in my daily life. I haven't been living like they we will be fulfilled in my daily life. You can expect it, people. You can. Anyway, God was fulfilling those promises, and that is for our benefit today to see that God is faithful to do so. We saw that Abraham lived a life made up of days, and so do we. Your days are adding up to something. I'm not telling you to earn your salvation. That's all grace. That's all Christ on the cross. I'm telling you to work with this God of grace to grow in godliness, to grow in faithfulness, so that you can look back and say, I lived a good life. I lived a full life because it was filled with God. So maybe in this prayer time you talk to God about that. God, I've been distracted. I've been distracted by work, by relationships. I've been distracted by entertainment. I just let it suck all my time up. I get home from work and I plop down in front of the TV and that's it. You can talk to God and say, you know what, Lord? Help me to spend my day, days well. Help me to live as wise, not as unwise. Because, anyway, God, help me to do this. And God, help me to leave a legacy, right? <laughs> help me that when I die, uh, some of me is left behind. 
Some of my faith, some of my godliness has been passed on to other people because that's, that's what we see happen with Abraham. And that is no doubt what we want for our own lives. It's all God's grace. He gets all the glory for all of this. But by his grace, he offers us a good life, a full life, a life that we can leave a legacy. We can see his promises fulfilled. So I urge you and I urge myself to, to live like it. Let's pray. Father God, I'm asking that you would overcome our tendency not to see our lives as short. Remind us that we have this one life, this short little blip on the, the screen of eternity to live here. We will live on in eternity, but this is our one chance to, to make a difference in the world. God, help us to live like it. And God, I pray that to that end, we would realize that our lives are made up of singular days, singular decisions, singular actions. They all add together and become something. So God, let us work to be godly people day in, day out. God, help us uh, to, to work to be faithful, serving, fruitful people for your glory day in and day out. And God, I pray that you would give us the grace to leave a legacy for your glory. I don't care if anyone remembers my name in 50 years, but God, I pray that the imprint of what you did in my life would remain. Help me to pass it on. Lord, I pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Thank you.